Yadevi Sarvabhuteshu Matre Ruparna Sanstita Namastashai 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 Namo Namaha I bow to that infinite mother who is in all things. The truth of everything must be understood above all, not from the point of wisdom but of love. Love is the greatest wisdom. Wisdom is the greatest act of love in the sense that when you love truly, there is no attachment. There is no wishing for yourself. There is only a wish to give. You know, on the spiritual path, you find a, lots of strange things. You get into the path of yoga and uh, there are many, many stories I could tell you, which I'm not telling you, but there's one that I wanted to read you today. It is in this book of mine. Conversations with Yogananda, and uh, it's enough to, as they say, blow your mind. The following story, said the Master, happened before my time, but my father was personally acquainted with it. A Maharaja had been excavating a lake on his property, and beneath the mud at the bottom, three yogis were discovered in good condition, seated in the lotus pose. An engineer working on the project estimated that they must have been there at least 300 years. They were in Samadhi. To awaken them to outward consciousness, the Maharaja had someone apply hot pokers to their feet. Finally, they succeeded in bringing them back. You should not have done this. They told him severely, we were very near liberation. Now we shall have to be reborn and to continue working toward that goal in new bodies. It was not possible for them to keep their bodies any longer, having been out of them for so long. Before dying, they said to the Maharaj, you have committed a serious transgression by disturbing our deep state of communion. You will have to pay the price. In fact, soon after these yogis left their bodies in death, the ruler and his whole family died. That was his punishment for disturbing the harmony of those yogis' inner communion. On the other hand, the yogis themselves, by being so rudely forced out of their inner state, were paying a price for seeking liberation for themselves alone. Divine Mother didn't want them to merge in the infinite without first helping others also. One hears many strange things in the path and in India. I've encountered a number of them myself. During my four years in India, uh, that was years ago, a friend in Delhi related to me an account that had come out recently concerning an excavation that was just being conducted in Sabzimundi, across the river from where he lived. The workers had come upon the body of a yogi seated in meditation. They were able somehow, I hope the means used were kinder than in the foregoing story, to revive him to outward consciousness. When he spoke to them, however, he could, they couldn't understand him. A pundit, or Sanskrit scholar, was summoned who said, to them, said the man was speaking an old form of Sanskrit. The man asked, that is to say the yogi asked, what yoga is this? They told him it was Kali Yuga. He wasn't interested in remaining. He couldn't retain his body after his revival. Before leaving it, however, he said to them, if you dig over there, the indicate, he indicated a spot 
near the place where they'd found him, you will find the murti, or sacred image that I used to worship. He then left his body. They dug where he'd indicated and found there a sacred murti. Well, as I said, there are many strange things on the spiritual path because, you see, we are not this body as we think we are. We're just in this body, sort of like hermit crabs. We create it as the hermit crab, I think, from what my little mind knowledge of botany I have doesn't. Nonetheless, you are inhabiting something that is not you. This body you've got put out, you've got your consciousness in the brain, and you can feel the senses, the energy coming from the senses, but it's all energy. You are not this body when you die. There was a, an interesting story. There was a, a, a boy and girl, brother and sister, who had been students of the Master. They were students of the Master, but the girl died. And the brother said, you he was talking to her in, in her right ear, calling to her. He, said, he remembered that the Master said that the soul will not leave the body as long as it is not willing to leave it. You have to say, all right, I give up. I don't want it anymore before you can leave. And that's how ghosts happen to you because you, you have somebody whose his soul has left the body, but he's attached to it, and so he hangs around. So he called to this girl and said, don't come back. We need you. We need you. Come back. And she finally opened her eyes. She said, oh, I was so far away when I heard your voice calling, and I felt your, your need, and so I came back. But you aren't this body. Don't be attached to it. Don't think. You know, it's a good exercise sometimes when you're taking a bath to feel this is all going to be ashes someday or dust, one or the other. It doesn't matter. It won't last. You last forever. Don't define yourself in terms of this little body. But you will see that in yoga practice what happens is, when you go deep in yoga, that you consciously practice what you do in death. You withdraw the life force from the senses, first of all, into the deep spine. And then finally, in, you can leave the body completely, just a little tie mentally to the body as those yogis had. I met, uh, he was the, the head of the Zoological Institute in Darjeeling many years ago, about, oh, well, 45 years ago, I think it was. And he told me he'd been on a scientific expedition in the high Himalayas. They were up above the tree line, and they came upon a yogi who was seated in, in a lotus posture. And he said, looking at his body, he must not have moved for a good six months because his nails were so long, and they'd grown into the bark of a tree that was right next to him. He said if he'd moved, the nails, which were fragile, would have just broken off. So he could not have moved all that time. Well, that doesn't mean that the yogi was sitting there in, non, in non-existence. He wasn't in an empty state. He was roaming around the infinite in bliss. This is jara samadhi, is unconscious. Uh, that's not samadhi really at all. But in conscious, superconscious ecstasy, you are completely blissful, and you don't need this body to enjoy. As my guru was saying to us one day, he went in his later years, he went through a lot of physical difficulties, and 
uh, with his legs. He couldn't move them well. And uh, finally he was out walking around and I said to him, it's so good to see you come walking again, sir. And he said, yes, it's nice to walk. But he said, some people have legs but can't walk all over. What he meant was he was omnipresent. He didn't need legs to be omnipresent. This is the state of yoga, that you remove yourself from your body and you go into the great stream of life that is everywhere. This is what you can do. Your ego is a temporary phenomenon. And this body, as I've said, is certainly temporary. But the ego is something you keep when the body dies because the ego is one of the elements of the astral body. When you go behind the astral body into the causal world, you see, when God brought this world into existence, he first brought it into existence in idea. This is the causal state, causal universe, causal body, or it's also called the ideational because it's only an idea. Then from that, the uh, thoughts form and vibrate even more grossly to take on a body of energy and light. And this is called the astral world, the astral body. And uh, then it, the progression of creation is to vibrate even more grossly and produce matter. So when you withdraw from the material world, you're still in the astral body and you still therefore have an ego. You won't be free. You can't merge into God just by leaving your body. This is what the great mistake people make when they commit suicide. They don't escape anything. They keep their ego and they keep all the problems that the ego has, plus the sin of having killed themselves or tried to. You can't really kill yourself, but you can kill your body. It's a greater sin than murder because you think when you commit suicide to sort of negate life completely, whereas murder is just trying to commit to destroy one life, but not life itself. Suicide's a great sin. <coughs> when you go through that, it'll take a while to come out from that. And there will always be that penchant to want to commit it again. I've known people who had this obsession with wanting to commit suicide, and I've told them, try to hang in there. Don't, don't let it get you. Because you'll just, just fall deeper and deeper into it until finally you get the strength and the sense of desperation to come out of it. You know, you think you're going to get rest when you commit suicide. There's no rest there. Then finally, well, you get a little rest, but it's, it's not a meaningful rest. Then, of course, because you still have your ego, you still have your worldly desires. You don't leave those desires just by killing yourself. And when those desires come, you want to come back and you can't. And finally, maybe you get a chance to come back and you're still born. And maybe finally, after one or two attempts that way, you're able to live and you suffer from insomnia. You've got to learn to appreciate this gift of life. Don't take that step in your life. But to find freedom, find it in yourself. Give up desires. Give up this thought of needing anything to fulfill yourself. Be free in yourself and recognize that we owe a debt to the world. We owe a debt to other people. All people are your brothers. It would be wrong in any case to want to find freedom just as these yogis tried to do, finding it for themselves. That's not the right way. The Divine Mother wants you to free others also. It is a good thing to help others. It is a good thing to serve them, always remembering 
that it's God in those forms that you are serving. When you can do that, then gradually begin to untie, to cut the bonds of ego and to free yourself not just from the body, but worse than that, attachment to the body. You become free from that attachment. That's the beginning of freedom. And then that ego in the astral world, it lives maybe for a long time. Once it's free of any worldly desire, any desire to manifest in this physical world and to seek its satisfactions in gross material ways, as, as uh, my guru said, if you like curry, you'll have to come back here where they serve it. If you like uh, smoking, you'll have to come back here. They don't smoke in the astral world. Uh, they don't use their lungs in the astral world. The lungs are the ira and the pingala naris in the spine. And so you'll have to come back here where people smoke. But when you can overcome all those worldly desires, then in the astral world, don't think you're free. It's like having water of the ocean closed in one bottle and another one outside that and another one outside that. All you've done is break the outer bottle. Then, to be freed of astral desires, you have to get freed, first of all, of ego. But the astral world is so beautiful compared to this world. This world is really a poor imitation of that one. This scene behind me is the garden I created in America at my crystal hermitage, as I called it. It's the sort of the spiritual center of our community here. But you know, one of the reasons we've been able to make a really beautiful place there is because we haven't had the delusion that anything in this world can ever really be perfect. And so knowing that, we've created a place that isn't perfect but is beautiful. Whereas if you try to make it too perfect, you get so fussy it's never right. You know, try to get a cushion behind you in such a way as to be, abs uh, way as to be absolutely comfortable. You won't be. There will always be something, well, if I move it a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, a little bit down, a little bit up, this world will never give you perfection. But you'll find that you can make it a better place, certainly. This, yes, many people, in fact, coming to this beautiful garden have actually been converted to seeking God. That's the only kind of conversion I accept. To seeking God, to seeking their own place in the great scheme of things, realizing that there can be beauty, that it doesn't all have to be ugliness. But remember, that world is much more beautiful than this, and even that is just a gaudy paradise compared to that ideational state where perfection is, is uh, without form and without color, where you begin to sense the joy permeating all things. That's the causal state, where you need to work out your remaining delusions just on an ideational level. Now, in order to achieve that, two things are necessary, to love God and to serve Him in others. Because you see that God is everywhere. To love Him just here and not there is not to love Him really. He's as much in the worst people as He is in the best. That doesn't mean you have to be practical. That doesn't mean mixing with the worst people because they could pull you down. But at least love God in them. That way you can love all because you can love that little germ of divine aspiration that is in the heart of the worst murderer. Everybody is a child, a spark off of God, 
off of that great anvil of God. And he strikes us into outward manifestation. But that joy is something, and that, that reality who we are. I don't think anybody has ever said, I am evil. They all somehow believe in that divinity in themselves. So learn to love God in others. Learn to be their brother or sister, whoever they are. But above all, mix with good people and try to see the God in them. He is everywhere as he is in you. Seek him in yourself. Seek him in the world around you. And recognize that all men truly are brothers. Joy to you. many countries and mixed with many men I've shared their days of sunshine gone with them in the rain the fires at evening said we were brothers the fires at evening said we were Soldier, I saw weeping beside a dying friend. My officers had preached I must hate him till the end. But seeing his grief, I knew we were brothers. But seeing his grief, I knew we were brothers. A man sat on a Charm your fears away. A stranger he, but love made us brothers. A stranger he, but love made us brothers. One day I climbed a mountain with friends of other lands. The words we used were different, but joy one understands. Our gladness in God's world made us brothers. Our gladness in God's world made us brothers. The words and customs vary like waves upon the sea. One life beneath the surface finds everyone to me. Who knows himself knows all men as brothers. Who knows himself knows all men as brothers. Then brothers, why endeavor to set ourselves apart? The fences we've been building squeeze tight upon our hearts. Come sing the truth that all men are brothers. Come sing the truth that all men are.